Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Lynn Hilton, here we are for another in our series of the best vocal exercises for, and over the last two weeks, we have explored chest voice and head voice. So let's talk about that in between, the transition. So what does that really mean? And what other terminology might we come across? Well, I think in simple terms, it's just moving from one area, one register to another. And there are many terms. The Italian uh, tradition, bel canto, call it passaggio or passaggi, plural. There's other terms like bridge, uh, I use transition, register shift, that expletive hole in my voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so break, I think is another one. Any names out there. And annoyingly, we don't just have one. There are a few it's in the range. Yeah. And of course, not just mechanical ones, there are acoustical ones as well. Mm. So how many do we have mechanically in the range and where do they happen? So it seems that the mechanical shift starts uh, somewhere between uh, chest voice and head voice. So in contemporary voice, it seems that the first shift between chest voice and head voice for females is somewhere around A flat four, give or take some semitones and for males somewhere around E flat four, give or take semitones. So things that might affect it might be the vowel, the consonant, whether you're ascending through the melody, descending through the melody, the condition of your vocal folds, the physiology of your vocal folds, the age of the singer, you know, there's a lot of things that may impact where that shift happens, but it seems like there's a physiological shift there and after that any other shift seems to be more acoustical and for females that the next one's somewhere around e flat five for males somewhere around a flat four and it happens about every fourth to fifth interval what's happening mechanically during this transition then and what do we need to bear in mind yeah so at the moment the research indicates that we're going if we're singing in chest voice this is why i talk about it being more evident in contemporary voice. So if you're singing in chest voice, ah, ah, chest voice, and then you've got to go up higher, now something has to change. So we've got TA is mostly in control of that lower end, and then as we go up, our CT needs to start being able to engage. And so we have a mix of those two. And sometimes uh, Ingo Tietze refers to mix as being a mix of TA and CT as you go through the transition. And it becomes more of a like a percentage game. Mm. Then there's a possibility as well that the larynx might come up a little bit and then drop again. And this is what I found in my study. And I, there have been a few other studies that have noticed that as well. In my study... I compared both contemporary and classical females singing through the transition and both of them as they were coming up to that G A flat 4 area the larynx came up and then after that it sort of dropped away so I I'm not sure if that might also be part of the mechanism 
The other thing obviously is that as you're going higher your vocal folds are lengthening and as you come lower your vocal folds are shortening. Ideally what needs to be in place in order for us to be able to sing through the transition smoothly and reliably? Well I think we have to have control over our larynx so if it's too high too low that might have an impact. The vocal fold closure so uh, are we getting vocal fold closure because if it's all weak so if, if I'm going through the transition and my vocal folds aren't closing or there's lots of air, I might not feel a transition. But as soon as I engage TA, to make sure that I can balance the TA and the CT together otherwise I might end up flipping into it or yelling up into it or pulling up into it as some people describe it. And also having these building blocks of registers stabilised and established so that we have something to manoeuvre from and to. Hmm. I guess it's the analogy of you wouldn't build a bridge if you haven't got anything to go to on the other side. I also think it was Ian Davison who said to me about that we might always feel the shift happening, but we won't always hear it. What do you think about that? Well, I guess ideally that's what we're trying to do. I mean, the fact is, if you want to sing with chest voice and head voice and then move between the two, your goal is always to do it without anyone noticing. Mm -hmm. But the fact is there is always a shift. It's not like you're getting rid of it. And I know some people talk about, oh, it's all one voice. That's what it sounds like. But mechanically, it's kind of like driving a car. You know, it's still one car and it's still driving along the road. But if you're in manual, and even in automatic, something has to shift, gears have to shift. But we could bunny hop our way down the street as we change the gears, or we could do it really smoothly so that nobody feels that transition. What issues might a singer experience when they're moving through the transition? Yes, there tends to be some very common issues. People are either yelling their way through, and that's TA dominant, so they'll go to up as they're singing through into the transition, they'll sound something like this. So they're pushing or pulling, whatever, however you like to describe it. But what's happening functionally is that the TA is trying to do the job of creating pitch um, as it goes higher when actually it needs to back off and allow the CT to come in. So here, that we call that TA dominant uh, in the course. The other one, uh, uh, and also by the way, that might result in something like this. And then we get a crack. So that's, that's when, when we're TA dominant. The other option is that actually we've got a nice balance sound in the bottom. But we're flip-flopping. And so this is poor coordination between TA and CT. So we haven't strengthened those two up and we're flip-flopping between, we might stay in that falsetto. That's another common thing that I hear. 
And of course, the other option is, like I demonstrated before, is that actually we don't engage any TA. <laughs> Pitches are there, you know, but actually the sound isn't great. So we've got TA dominant, we've got CT dominant, and we've got poor coordination between TA and CT. So they're the most common issues that come up with people who don't have control through their transition. Mm. So in order for that to become balanced then, how can we maybe ease off that chest voice or ease off the TA as we start to ascend to make that a bit more blendable? Yeah, so we need to figure out what's going on functionally. Quite often accompanying that TA dominance is the larynx coming up. So in that instance, I would stabilize the larynx, get that into a more neutral position initially, might even go to the opposite extreme and get it really sort of in an imposed position just to disengage those muscles that want to bring that larynx up. So I'll do a bunch of exercises around that, either giving instruction to make a sort of more dopier um, doma kind of sound, or um, I would ask the person to feel their larynx and notice what it's doing and then get it to stay in that position where it is when they're talking, which is more neutral. Or I might ask this, the singer to imagine that they're about to take a yawn as they go higher and this will then bring the larynx more into that neutral lower position. So I always want to stabilise the larynx first if that's the issue. If I've got um, CT dominant then I need to get the singer used to engaging more TA. So I'll probably focus on exercises around engaging TA. So adding a little cry or starting off with a hop first to engage the TA um, before they make a sound. So hop, ah. So you go closure and then create the sound so that they get used to starting in that position. Or mm, mm, when I do that, I need to engage the TA. So it might be add a little cry into that or whiny. Ga, 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 ga. You know, just exaggerated in the beginning. I always like to warn my students that they're going to sound silly for a while but we're just doing some functional work it's kind of like being at the gym where you don't look great when you're doing the exercises but once you've finished and you've had a shower you look and feel awesome you know because that's really what we're um, doing all that work for and looking so <laughs> unattractive so we sound unattractive for a while because we're undoing some muscle um, dysfunction if somebody has a wobble, if their TACT coordination isn't very good, then I start with making sure the larynx is in a stable position and then engaging more TA. Usually that little cry sound is quite helpful. And I'll also think about scales that can help somebody. So if they're TA dominant, quite often I'll start at the top in the upper part of their range. Um, something like that um, or I might uh, do a long scale or the extended arpeggio so that they're not having to sit into that difficult area they're just passing in and out so I'll think about that as well um, and then 
if I'm working to engage more TA, I'll start off working in the chest register first before I start to expand into transition. So once those foundations of either larynx or vocal fold closure are in place, now we can expand and we can also spend a bit more time in the transition. We can also look to things that impact the register in a particular way. So for example, volume, sometimes it can be helpful to give the singer a scenario. So if we're trying to reduce a little bit of too much TA, we could give them the scenario of you're walking into a room where there's a sleeping baby and we don't want to wake them and therefore that might the, and therefore that might then lead to a lighter register which is more blendable. A woof, I quite like that as well. Woof 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 giving something a little bit more heady in the lower range. Another useful strategy which we use a little bit in chess voice is spoken word. So mm-hmm. speaking at pitch and sometimes I'll use a number. So one, two, three, four, three, two, one. So that the brain is thinking more about engaging more of a spoken approach, but at pitch. And then eventually when that's um, working in a nice balanced way. One, two, three, four, 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 three, two, one. And so we stick around that area a little bit more. Of course, four is a little tricky on for some people I might have to change it to a b because if you have a tendency to flip then a f might actually encourage more flip so you, that's when you start to think about how do I use a consonant to increase or decrease the airflow if we're trying to prevent flipping then probably want to decrease airflow if we're trying to prevent someone from being more yelly then we want to increase airflow. Mm. So how do you help a singer to live a little bit more in that transition area then? I'm just thinking of songs like Journey to the Past from Anastasia. It sits quite a lot within an A and a C if I'm not mistaken and that can be a really tricky area. I know I struggle with that song. So how can we make that feel a bit better and more stable? You could start by utilising consonant-vowel combinations that are working well in the exercise and then replace all the syllables of the lyrics with that. Also, I like to take little bits of the melody and use that as an exercise and transpose that higher and lower so that you get used to sitting on those notes. I might take a melody line, I take away the rhythm and I just make an exercise out of that melody line. Find the consonant vowel combinations that work, that help, and all the other strategies that you might use. And then we ease into lyrics. So then as I go close to the lyric, what I do is I add a consonant that's helpful whether that's increasing airflow or decreasing airflow in front of all the words so you know if you've got um, I'm blowing bubbles it might be I'm bowing bubbles you know so that you add a consonant that's helpful and then eventually I'll move towards closer to a consonant um, that's related to the actual word that's being used and then I'll move to the word so it's always a, a gradual moving over you know and just toggling back and forth you know from the exercises into the lyric into the melody uh, the rhythm etc so just gentle easing you could also 
take transition uh, transpose the song higher you could transpose the song lower and then gradually in um, change the key until you get to the original key again I do that quite often you know I'll, I'll start it in a lower key or a higher key and then we'll we'll do that little passage each time in a different transposition and then um, eventually you know trick the voice into singing it actually in the original key so they're they're the most that's probably the most common strategy that I use to help someone to get into singing a song is there anything else that we need to consider when we're working the transition well the first thing I think it's really important for teachers to understand is that you will be spending a lot of time in this area and you probably know from your own voice anyway that it is the most tricky area and it's okay it might take someone months and maybe even a year or two to really get that transition working smoothly on every sound in every scenario and it needs to be done repeatedly so we're needing we need to keep the muscles toned you know and and practicing this so finding songs finding strategies using your vowels your consonants your scales to help that job instructions you know little tricks understanding that there are some physiological aspects and there's acoustical aspects which we haven't talked about because that's quite advanced but when you get to the higher transitions there you're probably going to make changes that are more acoustical so changing the shape of the mouth or the vocal tract the position of the tongue the soft palate the lips the larynx in order to help um, make that a smoother transition and it's very refined work you know so it will take time, it will take effort, and it will take repetition practice in order for this area to become easier and effortless. But it is possible with work. I know I've done it myself, um, and I've seen it happen with so many singers in the past. Linda, thank you very much for joining me over the last couple of weeks where we have gone through chest voice, head voice, and now the transition. Listeners, we hope you have got a lot out of those. I just want to add people that we're just talking about our experience. There are so many people out there who really delve into these areas and have other little tricks up their sleeves or ideas. So make sure that you're going out and exploring and finding, um, you know, other other resources and sources for you so that you can help your student in these areas of their voice. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a five star rating and leaving a comment just head to the singing teachers talk main page on the apple podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click write a review